Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. And this word that I want to bring you is sort of like, um, it's like a fresh word for Eileen and I. And it's so, it's so deep. And it's kind of like what God's doing in my life. So last service got very excited. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very sure <laughs> that I have a little bit of voice left. So, so we're going to make it happen. Hey, here's, here's what Psalm 37 verse 4 says. It says, delight for, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Enjoy yourself in God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. When you and I have been talking uh, over the last few months, I've been saying, hey, listen, there is a spiritual growth that happens in your life that we have maybe made it into this drudgery thing. But instead, what we are supposed to do is enjoy God. And, and here's the thing. Can you worship without enjoyment? No, no you can't. It'd be like, oh, right? That's, you, there's no way you can actually do this. If you run through most of everything that you do in your spiritual life is actually enjoying God. And what I'm going to talk to you about, at least a part of it, is that, that what you are supposed to do and what we are supposed to do and where we are finding our most fulfillment is going to be in the fact that we are going to enjoy God forever. That's going to be like our whole life and where it's going to be amazing. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is how does that work its way out that you enjoy God forever? Uh, just like... Super quick summary. There were three ways that the Holy Spirit is always working in your life that he wants to help you. The first is with your identity. And if you look at Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, Paul talks a lot about our identity. And the, the thing that I hope you got is when I was talking to you was God isn't going here and going, this is, you know, he's not calling you down on your behavior. How many of you like getting finger wagged? Oh, yeah, right? And that feels like religiousy and horrible and condemning. But what God is calling you to is he is calling you not down, but he's calling you up to your identity. It's to who you really, really are. And it is such a huge shift in your life if you get that. Because the enemy would love to leave you condemned and miserable and feeling terrible about yourself. And God says, no, that's not. Like, the, I got Jesus so, and he came, and now you can live up to who you actually are. And we're going to be talking about how that works its way out. There's a kingdom call that you have. Everybody knows God and gets, gets to know God and make him known. But there's a design that you have of who you actually are that God uses to have incredible impact in this world. And, and uh, one of my favorite way, things, <laughs> this is a little bit... Um, just shows a little bit of the inside of my mind. Uh-oh. Was, uh, and I said, you know what that part, you know what you, the way you should do this is you should be yourself. And about a quarter of you went, ugh. <laughs> it was just like, that was too funny. Not that part of yourself, the other part, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that there is a way that God is making you, forming you, has put you together that he absolutely uses every day for you to fulfill what he decided. What does the Bible say? Before time began. 
He marked out things for you to do, and he designed you. No, you're not perfect in making the whole thing, and God's in his way to helping you become holy, but it is in that perfect design that he made you that you actually live out of. And then you can enjoy the journey, right? You don't have to go, oh... I wish I was. You have an ability with your identity, with your kingdom calling. And the thing I want to talk to you about today is that you have a destiny that God has called you to. And that is a pretty big word. And I remember I was talking to somebody about this privately and they said, you know, I know I should probably believe that, but I would just like to have a date this year. Like that would be, I would be good if I just had a date. Right? And somebody else said, well, you know, I know, Pastor, that all sounds very bright and shiny, but I would just like this month something not to break down in my house. That would be kind of what I would really, really like. And, and you can list all of those things that are life, right? Isn't that sort of life? And you can think about all those things, uh, or there is a way that I want to lift your eyes up. So you begin to think about things the way God thinks about things and that he has an assured future for you. Do you get those words? He has an assured future. How many, how much of your life, and, and probably we're better at answering this question post COVID than we were pre COVID because pre COVID we were all pretty like, oh yeah, it's all good. And everything's going like, uh, how much of your life is assured? Very little, right? We used to think we would have toilet paper. (laughs) Toilet paper, right? Come on. Like there is so much in our life that we took for granted because we live in this amazing blessed country that things just show up for us. And all of a sudden we realize, you know what? Uh, Relationships can fracture. Uh, Financial stuff can make happen. And in fact, if you look in the Bible at the end of Revelation, it says the whole system goes Boom! And everybody's going, are you kidding me? The whole economic system just crashes in just, just a little while. Um, my, my son, has, uh, he and I exchange podcasts and talk about different things, and he sent me this, this thing from Peter Zihan, who seems to know stuff that nobody else knows. I'm always a little bit query about that. And he said this. He said that uh, everybody has said that the, you know, the U.S. is the world economic power and China is coming back up and China is everybody saying, oh, yeah, China is going to surpass the U.S. and everything. He said in 10 years, the whole Chinese economic system is going to collapse because they don't have anybody, any people, any children coming up because they had the one-child policy and everything happened. Nobody's immigrating in and their leadership structure doesn't allow information to flow up. And so if that's right, you heard it here first. If it's wrong, ah, the guy's an idiot. I don't know, right? What are we assured of? Very, very little. But what I want to talk to you about today are the mooring places, are the things that you can dive into that you are absolutely assured of in your life. And it, it's really about your destiny that I want to talk to you about and what that really looks like, and that you are absolutely, completely assured in that. 
There are three parts to it. I'm thinking I'm going to get to two of them. Uh, Your destiny is heaven, where you enjoy God forever. We've talked about that. Your destiny is secure, and he is completing it. And that your destiny is really about you grabbing a hold of God's dreams, not grabbing a hold of your dreams. So let's talk in the first part. Uh, Your destiny is heaven, where you can enjoy it. You know, the early church had a thought about heaven that you and I don't have. Their thought was, I don't need any RSPs, I don't need anything else, I'm going to sell my land, because Jesus is coming, and I'm going to get to be with God in heaven, and it's going to happen like right away, and so they actually had to help the church to be more earthly minded. I don't think that's our problem, right? Because we're not thinking about heaven hardly at all. And it seems a little bit intangible to us, right? This stuff here, I can see and touch, and it's, it's there. But heaven seems so far off. So I'm going to take a few minutes, and uh, I'm going I'm to put something, a picture in play for you that God puts of what heaven really is. And, and that you would have that assurance of this because it's the place that God wants you to draw your strength from because your hope comes from the future, that something from your future that you can bring into your present. That's what hope is, right? And so this is your great hope. And we want to make it as tangible as possible. And, and a little bit of it is a focus shift. And, and uh, I, I saw this. Some of you may not have a complete appreciation if we focus our thinking and there's this lady in a chair here and says, please don't talk to me. I have no self-control. I will talk to you for two hours and won't get any work done. <laughs> so how many of you that is? You? No. <laughs> okay. Front row. Uh, you know what? Uh, there is a little bit of a focus thing that, that we have. If we are going to uh, really understand that hope that we have, that that is truly assured in our life. There's a focus that needs to go upward to say, okay, God, what is heaven really like? And the Bible has seven different uh, descriptions of heaven that I'm going to run through like way too quickly. If you want to take a picture of those and, and look up the, the, uh, the pieces afterwards, you can do that. And uh, the first one is this. He says, in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. Every one of these things that we're going to look through hits a a place in your heart that is one of the deepest needs that you have in your life. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants a place. You will never be evicted from this place. You never have to pay any taxes in this place, right? God says you will always belong, and it's in my Father's house. So eternally... You belong. And when you struggle with belonging on earth, you always have a place that you belong in heaven. And as I go through every one of these, I want you to get this. Because there is is something in your heart. There's an eternity in your heart that God has put there that this world actually isn't supposed to satisfy. And we're desperately, sometimes even as Christians, trying to make this world satisfy those places And God said, no, 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 I put that in your heart so you would understand there's something way better than this. In my Father's house, you belong. You have a place. Second one is it's a beautiful city. 
It's a beautiful city, the New Jerusalem. It's built for worship and enjoyment. And uh, most of the time when we think of beautiful, we think of the country, don't we? We think of mountains. We think of, of oceans. We think of all those stuff. We think of our city and we think, okay, in spring, we have to rip up all the roads and fix them all at once this year. Did you notice that? Everywhere, all at once, all the time. Was, was, was our construction that we had going on. All three ways that I get from my home to church, construction. So I'm going, there you go. And then what's going to happen next spring? Same thing. You've lived in Winnipeg. You know how this works, right? And God says, this is a beautiful city. And, and I got good news for you. The streets of gold will not have to be ripped up every spring. Right? This is a beautiful city that has an architect who has made things that we get shadows on earth, that we get the perfection in heaven. And it's a beautiful city. You don't have to go to the mountains. It's the new Jerusalem. It's where you are meant to be. Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross to the sinner, the third description is, is that you will be with me in paradise. And and some of you are good at imagining. I want you to imagine with me. If Jesus calls something paradise... How good is that? That's pretty amazing, right? Jesus calls it paradise. Right? In in certain religions, their paradise is virgins and all this kind of stuff and everything like that. Uh, There is a whole stream of thought that tries to make something out to be paradise. We work desperately hard in our society to make paradise. I got a call from Rogers and I talked to Bell and they were trying to sell me on this brand new iPhone that I do and how much better I would feel. And every time I got a phone, I liked it for how long? 10 minutes a day and then you realize... This is the same as the old thing, right? There is, this is not paradise, what they're selling me. The $1,300 that I have to pay for my new iPhone, that is definitely not paradise. <laughs> we are living in a world that desperately is trying to make something that God has made for us. And he says, you will be with me. You will be with him in paradise. There is a wedding feast that the Bible also describes, the church, the the celebration of the Lamb. And what it is, is you get to celebrate all the time, and you get to celebrate something that has meaning and focus, and it's an absolute joy in your life. I, I want you to think back to, because all these pieces are shadows, of when you were together with some of your best friends, and you had your best food, and maybe it was this Thanksgiving, where you got together with your, with your people and you just had a great time together and you were laughing and talking and doing all of those things. This is a little foretaste of what God has in mind for us. And, and I have good news for you. And this isn't my wife's fault. This is my fault. Um, we cooked a turkey. Because I come from Mennonite background, we have turkey and farmer sausage. Thank you. And uh, the, the, I, I, you know, cut up the farmer sausage. I cooked the farmer sausage. We did the turkey, and I took the turkey out. Had the swing in there. Yep, it's done. And I start carving it. Except more, I was wrestling with it because I bought like a very cheap utility grade frozen turkey that was probably from last Christmas. But it was a really good deal. 
Did I mention that I was Mennonite? <laughs> so it was like the worst turkey we have ever had in our life. It was absolutely, you could put as much gravy as you wanted on that baby. It was done, right? And so I want you to think about the wedding feast of God. He says that there is this great celebration where you are eating, and you know you eat in heaven, right? You know the thing, and you know that there's no calories in heaven because you don't end up looking like this, right? You end up looking different. Your heavenly bodies. I'm thinking, I am so looking forward to that. <laughs> there's things you can do now. I get that, right? But it says there's a better country. Uh, when the when the Egyptian when the Israelis came to the land that they had, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, and. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you watch the news right now, and I'm not going to get into all of it, the deal of it, but you know what? This is just atrocity after atrocity. This is horrible, right? What's happening here in all this? And God is saying, you know what? I am bringing, that was a, that was a foreshadow of what, right? Because the, the children of Israel came into this land that was absolutely amazing, uh, desert around and beautiful. God said, but I am making a better country. A country where you have a king who truly cares. And a king who loves you. And a king who works out what's best for you. And a king that you can't help but worship. That's a better country. And it's a place of light. The, the image of light is that uh, the Bible says we don't need uh, moon or stars or sun because the light comes from? From God himself. And that means that his presence is everywhere. I want you to think in your life when you have, and for some of you this might not be exactly how you function, but you can get there, um, where you've really felt the tangible presence of God. And it might have been this morning in worship. Was for me, last song, boy, every time. And you, you really get into God's presence, and, and when you feel it, it's so fantastic. When you don't feel it, it's why you have faith. You get that, right? Because it isn't that God isn't present. Is that right? When you feel it, it's great. When you don't, you have faith, because he's always present. But in the midst of this, you get little portents, little thoughts, and feelings and impressions of what it's really like because God is light and his light is everywhere and you are going to be in a place where you are always in the presence of God. Hey, what has that felt like when you've gotten carried away in worship? When you've just gotten lifted up? Isn't that what this is saying? That that is what heaven is going to be like all the time. That's sort of astonishing. And we get little foretastes of it when we're worshiping, when we're in his presence, when you're walking in nature, when you're doing whatever you're doing. And the last place thing is that we are in a place of peace. That, and the peace is actually not just for us, it's for all creation. And all creation, is, the Bible says, is crying out. And you can kind of see our world is a little bit wrecked. It might be our fault communitively, um, but God is taking and he's making all of creation a place where they can be. And, and uh, the image is that the lion and the lamb are going to be together sitting beside each other. And that means that it's complete peace. 
the little picture that God gave me, I've told some of you this about 15-ish years ago, is we were camp and we were having this amazing, amazing worship service and I was sitting right in the front where you are. And, and I'm going to pick on you guys just a little bit. Is that okay? Good. Thanks. Didn't wait for you to nod, but you got it. And so I'm sitting up front there. We're having this amazing worship. And I actually heard what sound, my wife was a professional trumpet player. So don't think like that thing that your kids did when they were trying to learn trumpet. Think about it. There was this sound coming from behind me of like the, those high notes that were clear and perfect. It was like a, the sound of a thousand trumpets clearly together. And it was like, I realized after a while, it was like the voice of angels worshiping behind me. It was like, oh. And I was literally, Aaron, right where you were. And I turned around and I looked and it would be like you people back there. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, I know these people. <laughs> they don't sound like that. And I, 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 they probably thought I was like ridiculous, right? Because I kept looking back at them and their singing is fine. But I was, did you remember that scripture where, that we're going to read? I'm oh, sorry. There's a scripture we're going to read where it talks about trumpets. And I literally heard that sound coming. And angels singing. I've never heard that before, and I might never hear it again. But God is giving you little pieces in your life all the time, not so you would go, oh, isn't that cool, but so you would be hungry for heaven. You would understand that there is nothing on this earth that can actually satisfy you. And if you go into even good things, if you grab a hold of them, they're, they're, they're going to become like eating too much. Oh, remember that feeling you had after the Thanksgiving supper? And you should have waited in between dessert? Yeah, that feeling. Even good stuff is going to weigh you down. Because God has created in you to have a hunger for heaven. Because this earth was never made to satisfy 13 times in scripture, it talks about the core, the seat of heaven, which is called his throne room. And I'm going to read from uh, Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to kind of give you a little bit of context here. The Apostle Paul, or sorry, the, the Apostle John is in, uh, been taken off to the island of Patmos, and he is banished. And when you think island, think he's probably on a place with lots of sand and rocks. And he's just sitting there, sand and rocks. You got sand and rocks? And he's praying. And the Holy Spirit goes, and lifts him up into this place. And he says, I heard a voice which came speaking to me like a trumpet. That's my thing, the trumpet thing. Do you see that? When I first saw that, I was like, seriously, I heard the trumpets when they were there, and it's like right in the verse, and I was like freaking out. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He opened up, and this first voice, and he heard speaking to me like a trumpet, and he said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. And he gives John a picture out of the dust and the sand and everything. He gives him a picture of heaven. And he says that once the spirit would behold a throne, say throne, stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So there's going to be other thrones, but there's actually one throne. And he who, had, he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. He's giving us pictures of things that, that we could know because it's basically unknowable, Right? 
And the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. It's not a lot of emeralds. Like we, we think of like little stones that we get that some of you wear on. The whole thing was an emerald. And around the throne were 24 other thrones, which probably represents all of humanity. And uh, because they were clothed in white, they'd been forgiven. That's you and I. That represents you and I. And they're clothed with white with gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne, here we go, came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. The the picture that John is being given is the holiness, the, the majesty, the glory of God coming out of this throne with unspeakable beauty all around it. And, the, and before the throne were seven torches of fire that were the seven spirits of God. And the Holy Spirit was right there. And the seven functions that the Holy Spirit does were right there. And I'm going through this really quick, I realize. And before the throne, as it were there, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now you have little crystal goblets, right? There's a whole sea that looks like crystal. And I think it's in Revelation 15, it talks about how those saints who were faithful, that sea is probably more than this, would stood on that, stood around the throne on that sea of crystal. You and I get to hang out on crystal seas. Ooh. And on each side of the throne is four living creatures, and we'll just skip that part, run to the next one. And he said, and the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, and their eyes were all around. They were all knowing and all seeing, and all day and all night, they never ceased to say, could you read with this with me, okay? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never stopped saying it. And, and I, my best sense of all of this, guys, is this. Is that um, it, isn't, it doesn't say that they had to. That God said they would lose their seat in the throne if they did it. Is they were so overwhelmed at the sense of the presence of God that they could do nothing but absolutely fall down and they could worship him. What is it in your life that God has given you a little foretaste of to make you hungry for heaven. That's what you need to dive into. Because that is your assured destiny. It's what God has for you that nobody can take away. You are going to enjoy your God forever. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Uh, second part of your destiny is secured and is complete. And I, I want to take you to two people that, I, that you're going to see in Scripture. And both of those people are ones that are, are in the Old Testament. And uh, it is Abraham is the first one. Because there's a Scripture that says in Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Say completion. Until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what God is doing in all of our lives, we have heaven, which we're going to continue to remind ourselves and live understanding that there are little pieces of our life that God gives us to say, hey, you know what? This life, 
never, ever, ever was meant to be satisfy you. You need to get it from something bigger and fuller. But then God goes around and says, the second assured thing that you have in your life is that God has a plan for your life, and uh, who's going to complete it? He is going to complete it. He who began a good work in you will complete it up until the day of our Lord. So it isn't that in heaven everything gets to be all good. He says that I have a plan for your life and I am bringing what you are supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, and I am bringing all of that to completion in your life. And and here's my sort of direct challenge. You know what? Almost nobody believes that. We get so stuck in our world and in our lives and we think and we look at who we are and, and what things we haven't done and we're sort of whiny and snivelly and all the things that are, are, aren't going well in our life and we don't live like people who are in that place of saying, God is going to complete everything that I need to do in this world. He is bringing it to completion. Woo. What happens if we would live like that? Don't you think things would change? Because in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this. In my life, I get distracted by lots of stuff. And, and I'm going to give you two ways that are going to hopefully help you with this. First one is in Abraham in Genesis 18, 17, and 18. And uh, we're going to compare the fu- how the future God sees, where he's from, and our present obsessions. He says this, shall I, this is right around when Sodom and Gomorrah was happening. Remember when he was, God was going to come and judge Sodom and Gomorrah? And uh, he had just left Abraham's tent. And literally he said, it's kind of like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having a conversation as they're walking away from Abraham. And he said, you know, should we really hide anything from Abraham? Since he is going to be the father of a great nation. And I want you to get the principle here. I want you to understand something that I think this can change how we live our life. Is Abraham was completely obsessed with the fact that he needed to have a child. And he didn't have a child. And that thing in his life wasn't working the way he wanted it to work. God, on the other hand, sees and knows from the future, and he says, hmm, you know what? Should we let Abraham in on this? Of course we should. He is going to be the father of a great nation. And you know that that's true for you? That God sees and knows your future, and he knows who you are, and he talks to you, not, not like the wimp we can be, but he talks to us like the warrior that we really are. And he actually is not going to talk to you like a wimp. He's going to speak to you. He's going to work with you. He's going to stand with you because you actually are a warrior. I remember when I I was thinking through this whole thing of how God spoke to me and, and how he was working in my life. And I think there was one time in my whole life that God actually answered my question that I had in a prophetic word where he answered this little one thing here. And, and I had just finished my stuff at my other church. I thought I was a terrible pastor, that I would never be in ministry again. And I was a horrible person. I was a complete puddle. And God got some crazy guy to say to me, it's not your fault. 
and then went on to talk everything else. Every other prophetic word I've got never deals with this stuff over here. Do you know why? Because God sees and knows from the future and he is talking to you and bringing this to you to who you really are. Not this little, sometimes you're really frustrated. How come God isn't answering this thing over here? Because you know what? You're over here. You're a warrior. You are so much more than that little thing that you're struggling with in your life. And God is one saying to you, how can I hide anything from Abraham since he is going to be the father of a nation? That's how God speaks to you. That's how he works with you. That's how he sees you. And that's how you can live. Because you are assured the work that I began in you, I will bring it to completion. And, and I know that you know this, but I'm just going to remind you. It isn't like you live your life and you mess up and God's walking along and all of a sudden he goes, oh no, I never factored that into my plan. And he's just like, oh, what are we going to do? Let's all go home. Right? And sometimes we think that, don't we? Like somehow God is caught off course by the things that we've messed up in our life. I think he knew it. I think that that's why Jesus died, because you're not that great. Right? The Holy Spirit, brilliant. Jesus, amazing. Father, incredible. Me? Eh? I'm good with that. This is how God functions, and this is how he says, and you know what? This morning, I would love for you to stop thinking, saying, acting like you're a wimp. When God says, hey, you know what? I actually made you a warrior, and I'm no longer talking to you, thinking you, acting, or living you out in that way that you were, because you are not that. Amen? Amen? Give your Lord a hand for that. Second one is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is about to get called as a prophet. And this is the second thing that we need to learn if we're going to grab a hold of that understanding that God's completing us, that our destiny is secure. And verse 1, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He's talking to Jeremiah. Right from the beginning, Jeremiah, right from the beginning, all of you, God knew you. And not like your height, your hair color, all of that kind of stuff. Who you really are. What, what substance you have. Before you were born, I set you apart. I sanctified you. I ordained you as, and for his particular thing, it's a prophet to the nations. So he says, before you were in the womb, I knew you, I sanctified you, I ordained you. Now that's a pretty good prophetic word, isn't it? Knew you, ordained you, set you apart. What would your response back to that be? Let's see. It says, oh Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. (laughs) This is like cracks me up. Because it's exactly the same thing that Gideon said. I'm the weakest from the least. Moses said, "Eh, I can't talk. I need somebody else to talk for me. Most of us land completely in this camp. So God isn't put off by that, doesn't get mad at him. But he just says this, you need to no longer say, I am a youth. You, you, you can't think about yourself like that anymore. That, that part, that's called old man and it's dead. Okay? 
He says, for you shall go to all who I send you, and whatever I command you to do, you shall speak. And this is, this is I find this kind of funny. It says, and you will, you will not be afraid of their faces. Why do you think God would tell a prophet not to be afraid of somebody's face? Do you remember what they called Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. Why was he crying? Because all his stuff was bad news. And, the chill, and he was like heartbroken for all the people who were stiff-necked and stubborn and rejecting God. And he said, I am going to give you the ability to, Jeremiah, not get thrown off by their faces. Isn't that kind of amazing? He said, that's, I'm going to give you exactly what you need for the situation that you were in. And God never promises that it's all going to work out wonderful and it's going to be great. He says, but I'm going to give you everything you need for that moment when you look at his face and it could undo you. Not your face. God's promise to us is so important. And what, what's the principle here is that, that God operates in this area, not in the logical like the world operates. The world is, works on logic. God works on wisdom. And it's relational wisdom. You see, every one of those guys that I talked about, Gideon, Jeremiah, Moses, all those people were absolutely true about what they said about themselves. They were not great. They were young. They couldn't speak. All that was true, wasn't it? Absolutely the truth. Now, you're going to look at your life, and you're going to find pieces about yourself that are absolutely true. But that is completely irrelevant. Because God says, I have. And he put his hand on his lips, and he said, I've ordained you to do this. And by the way, when you look at their sour faces, it's going to be fine. I had one of those experiences that was sort of crazy when I was um, 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago. I had taken counseling. I have a degree in that. I had done lots of mentoring training, and so I came across this ministry coaching thing, and it was down in Atlanta for a week, super intensive time, and so I applied for it. It was like $10,000 or something like that, and they gave me this huge bursary, and so I go there. Uh, the church uh, paid my way down there, and so I go there, and I get in the room, and I'm talking to people, and um, it was like heads of denominations, huge business leaders, multi-millionaires, uh, like triple master's degree, double PhDs. And I don't know if you, those of you who remember Sesame Street, there was a little ditty that says, one of these things doesn't belong here. <laughs> and I saw, huh. And it doesn't happen to me often because generally I'm a pretty naturally confident guy. But in that moment, as I finished talking to all these people and I was sitting there, I felt like that little boy in junior high in my northern Saskatchewan school. And for some of you, I just triggered you. I thought, huh. But then this thought came. There's no way that I actually should have been there. Because I didn't fit. And that means that God wants me there. So if God wants me here, I'm just going to do what I can do. And I'm just going to be myself. 
And uh, so I kind of got to know people and talking, and they were teaching us a whole different system. And I figured out something that this is going to be incredibly important for all of you. Um, Very rich, very successful, very educated people. And you know what I had in common with all of them? They all felt insecure in that moment. I thought, I can do insecure. And so we all learn together. And, and part of how God has made me, and, and sometimes this is for good, and sometimes this is not always not that helpful. That's why I have a wife, because she says, Aubrey, not helpful, is I always like to have fun. And, and so we're doing this stuff, and we're talking about people's problems and how to help them. But, you know, they were all like really conservative Mennonites and Baptists and Alliance, and, and the rest of them weren't having fun. They were being very serious. And I thought, eh, not supposed to be here anyways. Unless God wants me here, might as well be myself. And, and so we had this whole week of together doing stuff. We sat around in a circle at the end, and people talked about what they had learned. And I had three people come to me and say, hey, you know what the coolest thing was? Is that you taught me that we can enjoy ourselves and help people at the same time. Amen. I thought, oh, I wonder if that's why I was here. And God said, well, you know, I got like a whole bunch of levels going on. So sure, take that one if you want. <laughs> In your life, you can either say, well, logically, this is the where I am at, or you can say, no, God is very wise, and I'm in a relationship with him. And so wherever he puts me, I'm going to run. I'm going to go. I'm going to chase after it. I'm going to dive in. Because God, whatever you have for me, you are going to bring it to what? Completion. Last thought. Thanks for being patient. Uh, David Livingston is a gentleman who uh, you may know as is somebody who was a very famous person who went in on, on missions at the church. And he, he traveled to Africa and out of Scotland. And they have this um, statue here of, fam- of him famously being attacked by a lion uh, in, in Scotland. And uh, he had lots of bad stuff happen to him. He had uh, his, his wife died. Uh, while he was on the mission field, lots of things didn't go well. He was like the world's worst explorer. He, he kept going on trips that were sponsored by people, paid lots of money to send him out there, and he was going to find the source of the Nile, never found it. And so he was a complete failure and really hard at one point, right, because all this terrible stuff happened to him. And so the, the people at Cambridge, this is in 1857, when you could talk about important stuff at universities, he said this, it says, for my own part, I've never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to do this. People, and he knew the, the, the verbiage around him, is they say, wow, what a life of sacrifice you've given, right? Is that you left all your stuff and your wife died, and there were no modern conveniences for them at that time, and he really had to put up with very little. And he said, you know what I got, though? He said, I got a consciousness that I was doing good that God said I should do. I had a peace of mind, and I had an amazing hope of my glorious inheritance when I got to heaven. And I said, along the way, there was sickness and suffering and danger occasionally, and there was common conveniences that I never had, but that it made me pause, and I want you to listen to this, and it made my, caused my spirit to waver and my soul to sink, but only for a moment. And this is a perspective when you look back on your life. 
He said, you know what? All these things are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in and for us. I want you to know something that is incredibly important. I sacrificed nothing. Because when a man finds a treasure in a field, with amazing joy, he sells everything he has and he buys the field. That is your and my life. This world, those pieces that you want to fill can only be filled in heaven. And it really isn't that sacrifice because there is great joy in following God because he is going to bring it to completion. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand, please? Would you mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes? I want to take just a few minutes and uh, want to pray with those who need it. And, and if you can not look around, that would be great. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you have never made that decision to follow Christ and uh, you've never given him leadership of your life, you've kind of been doing your own thing, or maybe you have and you've really gotten off course and you want to come back in, would you just raise your hand up? I see a hand there. Anybody else want to join? Say, I need to do that. If that hand is going up online, just pop on it. Okay, thank you in the back. Okay, thank you. That's great. All right, you can put your hands down. I'd like you to pray this together, and we're going to pray at the end, uh, just thanking God for what we have that's assured. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I give you leadership of my life. I thank you that heaven is my destiny and that you are completing my life. That is such a joy. I love you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.